Hey, everybody, we hope you enjoyed last week's episode, which was the beginning of the best Coen Brothers movie bracket. This week, we're back and we're finishing that bracket off. We are crowning a champion. We hope you're enjoying this bonus content that you could hear exclusively on our Patreon feed, patreon.com slash PTEBB. In March, we are coming back with you with a brand new bracket right here on the main feed. That bracket is going to be the best Robin Williams performance in a movie bracket. There are so many, it's going to be hard to get our heads around. Patch Adams, Mrs. Doubtfire, Aladdin, Goodwill Hunting. Oh, the list goes on and on. Hook, Hook, for God's sake. These are going to be some tough decisions you're not going to want to miss. That bracket is coming in March, so do not miss it. For now, though, we're going to go ahead and crown a champion in the best Coen Brothers movie. We hope you enjoy the show. Have a good one. Welcome back to Boozy Bracketology, the podcast of strong drinks, strong opinions, and crowning champions. And tonight, we are crowning a champion. We are going to determine what the best Coen Brothers movie of all time is. And I've got my panelists starting off over there in Raleigh, North Carolina. Jeff, my friend, how you doing? What you drinking? Doing fine. Uh, I'm dreading making these decisions because we we have eight great movies here. And I seriously have no idea how I'm going to decide between them. Uh, I am, I've got the, the hard stuff to help me out here. I've got uh, the Rua American Single Malt Whiskey. Uh, the Great Wagon Road to stay down in Charlotte, North Carolina to help me out. I'll, I'll take some of that. That sounds delicious. Heading out to Fort Worth, Texas. Steven, same to you. I'm doing fine. I am also dreading this, but unlike the alcoholics that surround me, I have nothing but the cool, cool beverage sitting in this can of Diet Coke to comfort me. May its fizz preserve us all. In fizz we trust, Stephen. In fizz we trust. Last but not least in Huntsville, North Carolina. Huntsville, North Carolina. There you go. Huntsville, Alabama. (laughs) Mike, you know what to do. There probably is a Huntsville, North Carolina. I think it's one of those. There seems to be something of that name in a lot of states. I, Chris, I wish I had thought as well as Jeff did and got something really, really strong. I, unfortunately, well, not for, unfortunately, it's actually fucking awesome, but I have a fridge about two feet to my left with all of my beer in it. I say, how drunk am I? That's clearly to my right. Listeners don't know. Listeners don't care. I don't know why I even bothered to correct myself, but anyway, <laughs> I grabbed the strongest beer that I could find in that uh, beer fridge, and unusually for me, it's actually under 10%. It's only an 8% alcohol by volume beverage. It is the Blueberry Crumble. Uh, it's an imperial stout. It's from High Wire Brewing. I think I've had their well, – I know I've had their Mexican hot chocolate on here, which is great, mm. and I think I've had one other – on here before uh one of Asheville's better breweries <laughs> yeah yeah that's right it's actually from your neck of the woods that's a great point uh but anyway this one I would prefer the Mexican hot chocolate I do like my pepper beers it, this one's not bad I don't get the blueberry particularly strongly it's still a very good uh stout 
and I can't complain. Other than that, I wish it was higher ABV because, as they got, as they said, this first one, all of these are going to suck. But the, the first one actually might be the worst one, in my opinion. I don't, I don't even know. Well, speaking of things I don't even know, I don't know how you guys are going to make this first choice. I legitimately don't. Chris, are you enjoying anything tonight? I don't think we remembered to ask last time. I am not. I I have not been feeling well, and I have not been sleeping much because daylight savings plus a one year old who doesn't know what daylight savings is means no sleep. Yep. Uh, so I am I am literally just chugging water. Uh, I am being. I'm not saying I'm being lame because there's absolutely nothing wrong with chugging water. But that's what I'm doing tonight. Your overall one seed is Fargo. It's taking on the four seed. Oh brother, where art thou? Jeff, you're the first one to make some sense of this, so go right ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, I have literally no idea what to do with this matchup. It is uh, the uh, the dark and intrigue, uh, dark comedy Coen brothers at their best versus the madcap Coen brothers at their best. It is... A, brutal decision and somehow the second hardest decision of this elite eight for me <laughs> we uh anyway uh stevens mentioned the cinematography uh and in the previous episode talking about how how some of these movies look and how the coen brothers are so careful about how some of their movies look both of these have a cinematography that feeds perfectly into how they they behave thematically. Uh, Fargo is the the wintry, bleak, snowy landscapes of northern Minnesota, uh, feeding into the idea of the, the the bleakness of the movie in general. Oh, brother, is the sepia-toned nostalgia uh, of the uh, the. 20s and 30s getting into the kind of farce that was popular among movies back then and all enjoyed seeing. Uh, I love Fargo. It's a great movie and it, it, it really does deserve its place in, in the, uh, the, the canon. God, oh brother, where art thou? It's such a friggin' movie. It is. Be I, I will come back to you again and again and again. Uh, the 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 last scene where Homer Stokes gets hoisted on his own batard because everyone values the beautiful music of the soggy bottom boys over their loyalty to the clan is just unbelievably a historical wish fulfillment. No one who lives in the South would ever believe that that could possibly have occurred. And <laughs> it is still one of the most satisfying moments in, in movies period, <laughs> possibly because of its wish fulfillment nature. Uh, and it's just that sense of fun that, that permeates the entire movie. The, the sense of adventure for adventure's sake, sense of, 
I don't know. And I, I, I kind of come back to, honestly, Holly Hunter's character in Oh Brother, which is a small part, but it could have easily have just been a throwaway part of... She could have easily just been kind of a MacGuffin that uh, Ulysses McGill and the others were trying to, to go after. But... but in, even in her limited screen time, she turns it into this just unbelievably crazy-ass character. That attention to detail of, of, of the, the minor characters, the, the development of some of the, the, the peripheral characters, and turning them into fully realized individuals of their own is uh, it's something the Coens do well. And it's something that really comes out in O Brother. Uh, fuck it, I'm done rambling. I pick O Brother. O Brother, where art thou? Picks up a belabored first vote. Next pick goes to Steven. Yeah, we're going to have to belabor a lot of these, so just buckle in. Um, done. Yeah, this is an almost impossible one because these two films both approach perfection as close as you can. Um, they're they're both beautiful cinematography. They're both well acted, well scripted, well shot. Um, jeez. So I think where I'm going to have to make my distinction, um, is it going to be on the theming? Because let's 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 talk. Me, well, I'm going to talk through this. The theming of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's about metaphorical death and redemption. That's something that we get over and over again. We open up on the Big Rock Candy Mountain song, which is a song about the afterlife. Um, We have people that are, quote-unquote, turned into frogs that come back. Um, And then, of course, we have the drowning coming back at the end where we find the uh, cow on top of the cotton gin and there's a roll-top desk. So very clearly what we're talking about there is it's the rebirth of Ulysses' through these trials. He starts out as this liar and a thief and he has to well he doesn't really have to change he has to learn to use those skills for the benefit of other people. I guess that's really what it is. It's not what you are it's how you apply yourself and whether you're going to be selfish or okay that's what it is. His want changes to a need it's not that his skills are wrong, not that he's a liar and a thief, it's that he's using them selfishly and he needs to use them less selfishly to achieve apotheosis. That's what's going on in O Brother Earth Thou. Uh, Fargo, what our main character has to go through, our detective has to learn that there are deeper, darker things than there she's prepared to handle. Um, yeah, that's, that's also a really, really strong theme because that's again it go it goes throughout it not only does she have that epic final what was all for money speech at the very very end but you've got like that weird scene where she goes and visits her old high school friend and it turns out that he's trying to hit on her and that's what kind of triggers her off to think hey maybe that weirdo at the car lot wasn't telling me the truth either maybe he was having ulterior motives it's it's such a well put together movie um Okay, so that one weird scene, that's the scene where she goes and meets her old high school friend. It turns out he's just trying to hook up with her. That's the scene that sticks out the most. It's like if you deleted that scene, the movie would still work. But it is thematically tied in. 
when I think about the weirdest scene in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, the sequence that makes the least amount of sense is that little subplot with Babyface Nelson, where we go around killing the cows, and it's a lot of fun. But does that thematically tie in, or is it a plot cul-de-sac? Um, we do see Babyface Nelson later when he's going to go get hanged, and he's so happy because people are paying attention to him. So if we're saying that the theme of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is how you apply yourself, I guess he would represent selfishness. So he's Ulysses, not chase. No, that scene ties in too. God damn it. Ah, oh, fuck. Ugh. Yeah, uh, this was brutal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Difficult fuck choice. It, I'm punching Fargo. It's up to you. Oh, my God. We broke Steven. <laughs> I... That was the, that was the, uh, the a third down quarterback scramble, <laughs> eventual incompletion. Right, and that that is the yeah, that is that's that's the apropos term. It's the quarterback that scrambled to his left, scrambled to his right, kept the play alive, and then got a one yard gain after running for ninety five yards. But all right, with all of that being said, Fargo picks up his first vote. Mike, get your head out of your hands. Cast your pick. I'll be honest. This, this is the championship game for me. This is my two favorite Coen Brothers films. And I'm making it in the Elite Eight. And, and this sucks. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I can't go. I can't fall back on the which one would I rewatch decision because I will rewatch the absolute and have rewatched the absolute hell out of these movies over and over again. Oh gosh. And unfortunately, uh, due to a wide variety of things, some of which are probably alcohol related. I'm not as, uh, eloquent as Steven in terms of analysis of these two films. Man, I think that, so what, what's the, we're trying to determine what is the best Coen Brothers film. So the way that I think that I need to approach this is to take, to really break down what, what is a Coen Brothers film, what overarchingly encapsulates the Coen brothers approach. And uh, we'll actually get to this uh, in the very next matchup, but uh, Jeff alluded to in the previous episode about uh, how some of their earlier films don't quite have the, the level of quirky funness uh, that they would exhibit a lot more in their later films. One of the great many things that makes Fargo such a great film is that for all of the really serious type of shit that's going down in Fargo, it does have that. And, and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou obviously has that in spades. I, gosh, man, I, I quote Oh Brother, Where Art Thou all the damn time. I, I quote Fargo occasionally. It's, I would say it's a little less quotable overall. We're not determining a best film based on quotability obviously, but because it's, they're just two different types of movies. 
but it's interesting that Steven brought up the one scene in Fargo that kind of feels like the throwaway scene. And it's, it's this weird left turn in the middle of the film uh, where she meets her old high school uh, uh, classmate. But the way that it does bring it back to the overall film, and it is still a memorable and interesting and quirky scene because of all the things that happen in the movie Fargo that are fascinating and interesting and memorable. When I was thinking about it, my brain went to that scene. I don't know why, but it did. And then, and, and so Steven bring it up and how it ties back in. And I of course also remember the baby face Nelson scene. Uh, Steven makes a point that it does tie into the film, but it does also, I would say overall feel a little more disjointed. I love both of these films. I, and I don't, I, I'm not, as I said, I'm not speaking nearly as eloquently, but I think that we're deciding what is the best Coen brothers film. And if I'm going to sit somebody down and show them one movie and say, this is the Coen brothers firing on all cylinders and writing something that has deep themes while also still telling an extremely interesting story and having some quirky comedy and all of the and beautiful cinematography. Jeff alluded to it uh, with a lot of the wintry landscapes and stuff like that. And that shot when Stevie Simi's burying the burying the thing, and he looks both looks in one direction, looks in the other direction. How the hell is he ever going to find that silly thing again? It. Oh my gosh, I hate this decision because I absolutely adore both of these movies. But if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to sit down somebody and say. This is the this is the Cohen brothers' absolute shade of uh, uh, it's going to be Fargo. And with all that, oh brother, where art thou has been eliminated. Fargo moves <laughs> on to the final four. I'm okay. I'm okay. There's no rest for the weary because we've got another Elite Eight matchup. This one is being started by Steven. Steven, you're choosing between the three seed, the big Lebowski, or the seven seed, a serious man. And after last episode, I know this one is actually going to tear you apart a little bit. So uh, tell me how you're feeling. Yeah, these are two gut punches in a row. I mean, this is how you killed Houdini, is you hit him twice like that. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I said it last time. uh, My favorite Coen Brothers movie is A Serious Man, because it just touches me and provokes my thoughts in ways that the other ones don't. But The Big Lebowski, it's The Big Lebowski. I mean, it is like the cult classic Coen Brothers film. And, you know, like last time I was talking about, you know, what scenes are disjointed and how does that subtract from the movie? Well, how can you say a scene is disjointed about The Big Lebowski when the whole point of the thing is that it doesn't add up? The fact that the scenes are disjointed are the point. You know, the fact that when you, you know, go to a porno guy's house and you rub your pencil over his notepad, you get a doodle of a dick instead of an actual clue. That's kind of the point that... It really doesn't add up. You should just abide and occasionally roll a ball. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
I think obviously the most quotable, the more culturally impacted film is The Big Lebowski. And it deserves all the praise it gets. John Goodman is incredible in it. John Goodman's incredible in everything he does. But he's great in that. <sighs> At the end of the day, I think the better, more interesting movie, though, is a serious man. And it feels weird to say that. And I know you can send all your hate mail to Chris because I don't read it, but he does. And he's <laughs> got a fragile ego, so break him. But I'm going to go ahead and vote for a serious man because I legitimately think that's the better film. Well, apparently I've got a fragile ego, but hey, you know what? A serious man picks up its first vote. Next vote goes to Mike. Yeah, again, uh, unfortunately, we are recording these on the same night because, as I said in the previous episode, I A Serious Man is a film that, that did leave me ultimately unsatisfied towards the end, even though I do remember enjoying a lot of it. It doesn't stand out to me. Um, and I think that... Uh, there, I think there was there's a certain time and place thing for when I saw that movie. Uh, we were talking a little bit offline between, I think at least I think it was offline between episodes about the movies, the best movies, a lot of great movies. They meet there. The movie stays the same, but you're different when you watch it. And so you get different things out of it. And I, I genuinely want, based on what uh, Jeff and Steven have said, to revisit a serious man. I, and I did anyway. And just unfortunately, the the fact of working full-time, having two kids, blah, 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 blah. just didn't get a chance to do it. The Big Lebowski, when I said in the previous round that that was the matchup between my two favorite Coen Brothers movies, that may have partially been a lie because The Big Lebowski is right there, too. Like, those are my those are my one, two, three. And choosing between those last two is tough, and, and throwing The Big Lebowski in the mix would have made it even tougher. But The Big Lebowski is a movie that it's difficult because Stephen alluded to the fact that it has become I mean, the way we talked uh, throughout this about how it has become such this pop culture iconic thing, uh, which is nothing to take away from the fact that it's also just an excellent, excellent movie. But it is a movie that is so close to my heart because of the experiences that I've had with it. And I'll, I'll just throw one out there. My sister, when my sister met her now husband and it started getting a little serious after a couple months, she was living in Arizona at the time. And I flew out to Arizona to visit her and to meet him. Within five minutes, he, we were just kind of just general chit chat and he dropped a big Lebowski reference. And I remember that. And I remember saying to him the fact that and this, and this is what, 2006 time frame 2006 2007 so i mean it was it was the pop culture juggernaut that it had become already by then but but just the the big lebowski is so intertwined with my life for 20 plus years i i had you know i remember having a friend visiting me when i lived in california and we i, I mentioned in and out burger last time we literally were like you know what we need to do we need to go get some in and out burgers get some beers and come back home and watch the big Lebowski. And that's how we're going to spend our evening because he had never had an out burger. And, and that's, that's another just, it, it is 
this is the, it's a heart and head not thing thing maybe necessarily, but the Big Lebowski is an incredibly important movie to me throughout my life. Just on top of the fact of just being a extremely well constructed movie, so much so that you almost don't even recognize how well constructed it is. And as Stephen mentioned, John Goodman is phenomenal and really probably deserved to win an Oscar for his performance in that because. It's just unbelievable. That movie across the board is so memorable, so entertaining. It It's getting my vote here. Big Lebowski picks up its first vote. We got another one-to-one tie. We're bringing it over to Jeff to break it. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> my two favorite Coen Brothers movies going up against each other. Uh, yeah. Like I said, you know yeah, in, in, in the past one, Fargo and O Brother was somehow the second hardest decision to make. Uh, I want to talk for a little bit, though, about the principle of quantum superposition. <laughs> the idea, <laughs> the idea of superposition, is 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 that something can be two things at once, right? It can be in one state and another state at the same time, and it only collapses once you observe it. The, it takes a conscious decision, a conscious action by the observer to force that particular particle into whatever state it, it will eventually end up in. When not observed, is in both states at once. The most famous expression of this, the, the Schrodinger's cat, experiment where there's a cat in a box and its life depends upon whether or not a particle has decayed or it hasn't decayed and because no one's opened a box to find out if the particle's decayed and hasn't decayed the cat is half dead and half alive it's it's a weird principle but it gets at some of the the themes that the coen brothers like to to talk there is a reason that Larry Gopnik is a physics professor and that he's teaching this particular principle. And he mentions Heisenberg uncertainty as well. And uh, uncertainty principle features, and, and, and you can definitely see the uncertainty principle's influence there. But I, I, I like the idea of, of superposition as this, this thematic overarching thing for... A couple of reasons. One is something I, I, I discussed before about the serious man being the kind of superposition of the dark comedy and the madcap craziness that the Coen brothers both are such good at. But a part of it is also that the decisions that you make, the decisions that surround you, all of this stuff is a big ball of crazy until you decide to do something about it. And because Larry Gopnik never decides to do something about it, it all just remains this ball of crazy. Uh, and, and then when he does, as Stephen alluded to in the pre- previous episode, he, he chooses not necessarily correctly. He chooses to, to take the easy way out. I think there's there's something deeply profound about the way that I think as as both a scientist and a Jew, 
<laughs> a serious man like has that that, that confluence <laughs> that superposition of of my twin identities it's just fucking catnip for me right it's uh you're you're talking about a movie that is quite possibly the 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 jewiest mainstream movie that i've ever seen (laughs) combined with a a movie that really wrestles with some of the philosophical implications of the weird conclusions of the 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 20th century uh modern physics and you know how we don't truly know anything how things can be more than one thing at once it depends on how you look at things uh god i hate sending the big lebowski home well, why did I have to be the one to send the Big Lebowski home? Because it's a movie I probably quote more than every other movie on Earth combined. There was a reason I was drinking the White Russian in the last episode. Uh, God, I, I there's a reason why I say everything you know, ties the room together for pretty much anything. It, 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 uh. At the end of the day, though. The Big Lebowski is ultimately less meaningful, and perhaps that's because we believe in nothing, Mr. Lebowski. God damn it, there I go quoting shit again. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the day, a serious man means something to me. A serious man wrestles with questions of cosmic importance on both a scientific and a spiritual level that matter to me that I care about that I think about constantly that I have to give my vote to it. It's, it's such an important synthesis of various parts of my life. It has to get my vote. So sorry, the dude. Sorry, Walter Sobchak, who I'm sure is going to call a, a foot foul on me. Come at me with his incandescent rage. I'm sorry. Fucking to dog fuck has fucking papers. <laughs> I am sorry to fuck with the Jesus. I am sorry to have to tell Donnie to shut the fuck up. But a serious man moves on. Man, I'm going to start limiting. I'm going to be a serious man here for a minute. I'm going to bring back the one-minute freaking timer. My God. How? How can you bring back and can condense all of these thoughts on all of these movies into one minute, Christopher? <laughs> Do not use my full name, sir. Do not full name me. And with that... The seven seat of a serious man is moving on, and so are we. We're to the right-hand side of the bracket. The one seed, no country for old men. The four seed, Miller's Crossing. We're starting this one off with Mike. Well, Christopher Patrick Liguori, um <laughs> the, the the what I had a feeling would be the two most brutal matchups of in this elite eight have kind of 
consumed a lot of the earlier half of it. This one, uh, blessedly, is not, is not as difficult for me. I think Miller's Crossing is a great uh, neo-noir type of film, uh, slash gangster type of film. Uh, it's definitely one that should be seen because it is excellent, and it, it, it really does stick with you in parts, but No Country for Old Men is an absolute masterpiece. And the one thing that I will say, and I sort of alluded to it with my vote, uh, quote-unquote, against True Grit, uh, which I also think is phenomenal, the one thing kind of going against No Country for Old Men is it is the Coen brothers working from existing material rather than creating their own thing. And I do think that the Coen brothers creating their own thing is where they're absolutely at their strongest. But what they take from the foundation that Cormac McCarthy gave them in his novel and create is nothing short of a masterpiece. It is phenomenal. It is memorable. Anton Chigurh is a, a character who he like, he, he encapsulates the notion it's it's oh god i'm not going to go there i'm i'm not going to go to too far down the 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 element of chance and how it plays a role in everyone's lives because i've been thinking about it a lot today for reasons that i'm not going to get into right now I'm not going to get into that but he encapsulates that in such a terrifying and memorable way in in the way that he lets his his coin flip and how much have you bet on how much have you ever lost on a coin flip and uh, and the degree to which that that feeds in to so much of what that movie is and and I, I said it before, but I love the way that that movie, you know, and and again, but again, it's based on previous material. It doesn't matter because the Coen brothers just do so much with it and they present it in such an incredible way. But the way that it derails and comes back to Tommy Lee Jones, as sheriff character and trying to make sense of the world as it exists. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, again, we said it before. It deserved its best picture. It is Wonderful. It gets my vote. No country picks up its first vote. Next vote goes to Jeff. So to me, both of these movies suffer from the same same thing that I mentioned in the Miller's Crossing Man Who Wasn't There matchup, where both of them are somewhat joyless, which just does not suit the Coen brothers particularly well. Uh, I, I feel like they're they're at their best when there's a little bit of fun in their movies and there's a little bit of uh, of of comedy going on. They're they're with they're pulling out of even the bleakest situations. Uh, I don't feel like that happened in either No Country or Miller's Crossing. What I do like about No Country for Old Men is that the kind of the character of Anton Chigurh kind of in, in, encapsulates this the idea of how much of an influence on our lives luck has I think that's become one of my almost guiding principles in terms of of how to make 
you know, decisions in terms of you know, whether it's political or who to care about more, et cetera, that we are where we are and to some extent because we can all point to some particular aspect of our lives in which we just got lucky. We won a coin toss. And had we lost that coin toss, you know, maybe we wouldn't have gotten a, a cattle gun to the forehead the way Chigurh's victims do. But, you know, something other terrible would have happened to us or something worse would have happened to us. I know I can look at several incidences in my life where the the cruel hand of fate and luck happened to shake the dice my way. And I'm thankful for that. But... The the fact that you have a character who is just chaos, entirely luck, who is entirely driven by nothing other than the winds of fate. I like the presence of that guy in a movie. So I've got to give my vote to No Country for Old Men just because the inclusion of that thematic element is, is... something that, that that's deeply attractive to me. No country picks up its second vote. It's moving on, but I want to hear from Steven. Yeah, this is the only p- easy pick we have remaining, so I'm literally not going to belabor it. No country for old men. I appreciate that. No country for old men moves its way to the <laughs> final four. It's time to pick who they're going to be facing. The sixth seed, Inside Lewin Davis. The seventh seed, Burn After Reading. And this one, I believe, we're back to Jeff. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I can I can make this fairly quick, too. That I, I see both these movies. Uh, they, they were... Uh, I don't think they came out super far apart from one another. Uh, maybe a couple years, maybe. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis was was fun, and I love the folk music of it, and the uh, uh, certain parts of it are interesting, but Burn After Reading sticks with me a lot more, and it was uh, a fun romp until it wasn't, and then until it was again, Uh, and I appreciate that even the crazy amount of, of tragedy that occurs there is still couched in the language of and framework of the absurdity of life and we're all just like J.K. Simmons at the end saying huh, hmm, alright so yeah give it to Burn After Reading Burn After me. Reading picks up its first vote next vote is for Steven Yeah, this is kind of the opposite of what we were having early on here, where we were struggling because they were films that we dearly loved. These are kind of the two films that I were most mad about, uh, as far as the Coen brothers go. Uh, they're both good films, they're just not ones that I would put in my top five. They don't stay with me as much. Um, that being said, only one of these films has a sex chair, so I'm going to go with Burn After Reading. <laughs> The decision-making on this podcast is second to none. I have no <laughs> doubt. Mike, you're up. Um, That's that's already two votes for Burn After Reading, right? Yes. All right. You know, because I was sitting here going, eh, 
I, I'm probably going to vote. I, I wasn't sure which way I was going to vote here. And again, there's there's a little bit of recency bias here I, because I just saw Inside Lewin Davis a couple couple nights ago. There were things in Inside Lewin Davis that really resonated with me, because, honestly, because of for many reasons. But one of which was that my wife and I had kind of had a conversation very much pertaining to Inside Lewin Davis uh, not that long before I watched it, which was about the degree to which you devote yourself to your artistry. And I think that's that one of the many kind of undercurrents of Inside Lewin Davis is he, in spite of the incredibly tragic way that he's lost his songwriting partner and everything like that, he's decided to forge on and make these voyages and sleep on all these people's couches and do all these different things because he believes in what he's doing. And one thing that I, that's, I've sort of, I, I mean, in a mild way struggled with is this notion of, I mean, I also just know that I don't have the talent and necessarily to have done it, but you know, this, this idea of, you know, wanting to produce, wanting to create something, wanting to produce art there's there's this under you know this thing deep in my belly that still sort of exists that wants to do that but sometimes it's nice to be reminded of the reason you're not doing that is because you, you know you just don't really have that level of drive that for the most part is necessary to accomplish that and a movie a movie like inside Lewin davis reinforces that a little bit to me I like both of these movies a whole hell of a lot. Uh, I'm glad it doesn't come down to me because I, I think I was probably going to vote for Burn after reading if it had come down to me. But I'm going to throw Inside Lewin Davis a token vote here uh, just because I really enjoyed that film as well. Inside Lewin Davis is moving on, but not without the token vote. No, sorry. I got that backwards. Inside Lewin Davis gets the token vote, but Burn after reading is moving on to the final four. And so are we. Steven, you're kicking us off in this next pick. The overall one seed of Fargo, the seventh seed of a serious man. Take us away. Well, fuck me. Um, <laughs> now I feel like I'm the one who's in the sex chair. Okay. So I, I believe I've made my opinions about a serious man very clear. And I, I, I do love that, you know, one of those themes that's throughout the Coen Brothers movies, as we discussed, is, you know, uncertainty and chance. And I think a serious man is probably the one that deals with that most directly and most thoughtfully. And, you know, it's got that weird opening sequence where maybe the guy's a dimmick and maybe he killed him or maybe she cursed the family or maybe that had nothing to do with the rest of film at all because it's all up in the air and it's dealing with the nature of uncertainty and the way we can't know things and it's so smart. But then there's Fargo. And Fargo is a beautiful film. Fargo is it's a good use of your Buscemi. Um... Yeah, I just hmm. I think at the end of the day, since it's a best Coen Brothers film, as much as I love a serious man, 
I think my love might have to give way to more of an objective look at this. And if that's the case, I'm going to have to give a very slight edge to Fargo. Uh, it's a gut ripper, but Fargo's just a little bit more complete. It's eminently more quotable. It's got that going for it. Um, plus, it's 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 a good representation of how evil used car salesmen are. So I'm going to go with Fargo. <laughs> uh, I have nothing there. Mike, take us away. Oh, gosh. No, I was just thinking, uh, you know, since we kind of, in the previous uh, episode, flipped flipped around the order a little bit. I was, I was thinking, man, we should have, maybe Chris should have reversed the order here because, you know, just to provide a little suspense. I have genuinely been filled with a lot of thoughts about a serious man. And I wish that I had, re- had revisited it and, and been able to get a perspective that really, the 10 years hence that I had seen that film had provided me because I guarantee that I would have probably seen that movie in a much different way based on what my fellow panelists have said, Uh, especially because, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff was mentioning in his, you know, when talking about this movie about that, that notion of, you know, whether or not to be a passive participant in the crazy of the world or attempt to try to try and do something about it. I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't something that kind of weighed on me on a day-to-day basis. And, and so the, like, but it, but not something at all that weighed on me on a day-to-day basis 10 years ago. So that's just one of the many ways that I think that if I had 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 a chance to revisit that movie, I would have a different perspective on it. That being said, even given that I'm not convinced that I would reach a different conclusion just because I, as I said in the previous round, making the absolute brutal choice that was between Fargo and Oh Brother, which are both films that if I would line up like one, two, bam, bam, like I don't even know. I don't know how things are going to be 15 years from now when my daughters are of an appropriate age. I could be like, here are the Coen brothers. Like, but, you know, but those are films that I would line up one, two, like these are films that you need to see to understand this style, their style of filmmaking. And, and there's, I genuinely hope, uh, this is a slight side note, but I genuinely hope that they get to experience those sorts of perspectives and that different ways of filmmaking and, and ways of approaching that that i was fortunate to experience in the late 90s early 2000s it was a phenomenal time to be a cinemaphile and really be absorbing that um i'm i know i'm rambling uh because again alcohol and stuff like that obviously my votes for fargo but i've been i've genuinely been inspired i I definitely want to revisit a serious man in the not too distant future because of how highly my fellow panelists speak of it Fargo picks up its second vote. Jeff, you're up. I mean, y'all know how I'm voting on this. I, I don't have to uh, to um, make some sort of suspense as to whether Fargo is going to get the sweeper or not, because y'all know it's not. Uh, a Serious Man is such an interesting 
movie to me and, and for a couple of reasons. I think I belabored why it was interesting in the last uh, round where I had to send my second favorite movie home in favor of it. Uh, the Serious Man came out in 2009, which was a year in which I think my life was in flux more than any other year of my life. Uh, this was a year where I separated from my ex. It was a year where I met the woman who was going to become my current uh, second wife. Uh, it is a year in which just uh, a lot of weird and interesting stuff happened and I think the fact that that movie, I ended up seeing it after a lot of that maelstrom had occurred in my life, made me appreciate it a little bit more. That uh, I think in in the as Mike alluded to in the lead up to to when we were discussing this this episode, had I you know had Serious Man existed 15 years ago and had it been up against Big Lebowski, I would have made a different choice. Same here, obviously, but I think now having that appreciation for certainty and the fact that. So many things can be so many different things at once. Uh, having learned a little bit more about my Jewish traditions and the traditions of inquiry and debate and argument that exist within Judaism, the fact that you know we have the only holy book on earth that argues with itself in the Talmud, uh, that we're comfortable with and live in this constant state of, of superposition of things being many things at once. I don't know. I, I obviously my vote goes for serious man and is spitting into the wind at this point. Uh, I don't agree with the police work of my fellow panelists, but Fargo moves on, and I can't fucking argue with that. Uh, I just really, really love a serious man, and I'm sorry to see it go. And with that, a serious man's been eliminated. We're moving on to our second-to-last pick. We're going to see who Fargo is facing in the championship. The one seed, no country for old men. The seven seed, burn after reading. We're starting with Mike. You know, this I, I love that um, it was two one seven matchups in a final four. I don't think that's ever happened before. I, and I think that um, I know how difficult that was for Jeff to because, you know, he even he he said at the beginning, I know it was difficult for Steven too. Uh, he said, at the, but but Jeff said at the beginning that both uh, him and his his wife uh, agreed that that was the best Coen Brothers film and that they didn't expect it to win. And. The fact that it got that far, I think, is a, is a testament to – well, it's partially a testament to uh, me just being a slacker who didn't revisit, <laughs> revisit it potentially. But, but it's also to a testament to just how, how good and interesting of a film it is. And I kind of similarly, not to the same degree certainly, but I'm, I'm pickled tink that uh, Burn After Reading 
made it this far. I, I you know, I kind of alluded to to Jeff that I think he, I think he maybe loaded the left side of the bracket a little much, um, but uh, that's okay. Uh, Burn after reading, I think, is a, is a wildly entertaining film. I enjoy it. It's so much fun. Uh, so is, in its way, certainly no country for old men. It doesn't quite have, and I agree with Jeff on this point. It 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 still has more of the 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 quirky Coen Brothers humor than I think just necessarily giving it credit for. But it but not to that level, uh, certainly. But it is a phenomenal piece of cinema, uh, and as I've said, uh, that it deserved its best picture, which it totally did. It's very hard to vote against it when it's going up against Burn After Reading, which again, I I really do think that it is that Burn After Reading is super entertaining film, and you know I was mentioning earlier about if I was going to line up Coen Brothers films and. And show them to like, okay, this is the Coen brothers. My, my one, two, three, four would be Fargo. Oh, brother, big Lebowski, no country. Honestly, my number five probably would be burn after reading. Cause I do think it is super entertaining and it does even over raising Arizona capture that, uh, that element of their filmmaking. But when I'm comparing these two and I'm thinking which is the overall better film and which really has more to say, as much as I love Burn After Readings, uh, you know, not to draw from the Big Lebowski, but essentially kind of nihilistic sort of approach of, yeah, all this shit happened and ultimately it meant jack shit. Like, that's hilarious, and especially the way it's presented. No Country for Old Men, the, the way that it deals with chance and, uh, you know, Jeff mentioned too about – the way that he has taken the knowledge of the role of luck and chance and made it part of his, his ethos. I've sort of worked on been, been doing the same thing, like, like understanding the, the degree of which uh, with a coin flip, I could have won or lost a- any number of things. Uh, not limited, not limited to a lot, you know, just so, so many things that pertain to the place that I am now, the very happy place that I am now. It's amazing to think about, and it's amazing to see that portrayed in the way that it is in No Country for Old Men. It's very, it's incredibly thought provoking, and it also works on a purely entertainment level, which I think makes it a just incredible film. So it gets my vote here. No Country for Old Men picks up its first vote. Next vote here is going to Jeff. It is interesting to think about now that that we've been through all of these various matchups. You know, this is what matchup number sixteen, I think, out of the uh, the the, the Cohen Brothers bracket. How luck and uncertainty and chance and just randomness permeate the philosophy of of the Cohen brothers uh and you know we talked about that most uh prominently with serious man obviously but both of these two movies deal with that i mentioned before the character of anton chigur luck personified in really its most brutal and horrifying form but 
the idea of luck, you all look at the reading where, you know, what if they don't make this particular decision? What if they, what if this, this person doesn't leave the, the random drive at the gym or whatever? What if Brad Pitt isn't hiding in that closet? Uh, <laughs> and George Clooney just happens to come home and is on a hair trigger. Uh, the idea behind Anton Chigurh, even though he, he really is personified in No Country for Old Men and is in every movie, is it's in each of these movies. And I think I have I have to go back to the idea of in what movie is that more enjoyable and more poignant. I feel like No Country for Old Men has that, but it doesn't necessarily have anything else. The Burn After Reading has the the clash between that and the sort of naive self-interest, but also decency of really all of the characters involved. You don't hate any of the characters in Burn After Reading, really. You you understand where they're coming from and why they make the the shitty decisions they make. I I feel like No Country it puts them in that position, and yeah, yeah, it's it's just a, such a fucking drag, though. It's, it's just got to give my vote to Burn After Reading because it isn't a fucking drag. Let's just go with that. <laughs> Tie it up one-to-one. Steven, the choice is yours. Well, I'm sorry it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but there's a very clearly a superior film between these two. And um, you can keep telling me that No Country for Old Men has uh, no comedy in it, but I've seen the haircut they gave Antoine Chigurh, so you can't tell me <laughs> there's no comedy in that movie. <laughs> I think that's uh, just how Javier Bardem's hair looks, man. <laughs> I think it's the same in Skyfall. Well, when you've got it working. Uh, not many people can say, put the bowl over my head and give me the Donny Osmond. No, anyway. no, Vicky, he looked different than Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Okay, so someone just admitted to seeing Vicky Cristina Barcelona. That's on the record now. Ouch. You know, yep. we know we're recording this, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is no country for old men for me. I said Burn After Radiant is just a middle-of-the-road film. I like it. It's a Coen Brothers movie. It's still good. But it's Burn or, uh, No Country for Old Men is by far superior. Uh, you know, it's got Tommy Lee Jones doing his most Tommy Lee Jones's old man, Tommy Lee Jones, the best one. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> and with that, the battle of what felt like was going to be the inevitable final choice has been sealed. The two one seeds are going to face off for the championship Fargo versus no country for old men. And we're starting this one off with Jeff. Yeah, I think my my vote here is fairly obvious, honestly. For a battle between two one seeds, I felt like one of them really encapsulated what the Cohen brothers are capable of. 
what they can do with a movie, what they can spin together with particular characters making difficult decisions. Yeah, I won't say any of the decisions we've had to make here are any harder than any of the decisions that uh, the Coen brothers characters have to make in their movies. But, you know, after having to decide between the Big Lebowski and a serious man, I think I can kind of kind of grasp where a no win decision <laughs> comes in. Ah, damn. Uh, but I think Fargo gets at that a little bit better than the no country. Uh, no country there is, as I think Mike has mentioned before, they're kind of bound by pre-existing material. Uh, the, the nihilism and cruel of the world of Cormac McCarthy puts them in a little bit of a straitjacket in terms of, of where to go with the plot. Uh, whereas in Fargo, you, you do have the fundamental decency of Francis McDormand's character. You do have that, that wonderful speech at the end that she gives, uh, to, to kind of thematically draw everything back together. I think you have to give it to Fargo in this case, uh, I, I just think it's the better movie. It's the more Coen Brothersy movie. It's the one I would go back and watch over and over again. Uh, it should be the deserving winner here, but we'll see what my federal panelists have to say. Fargo gets its first vote. Next vote here is going to Steven. So, even if you had no clue who the Coen Brothers were, that knew nothing about their oeuvre, knew nothing about film in general, you could still pretty much figure out these two films were created by the same people. Uh, they both feature law enforcement agents that are having trouble grasping this darker, seedier world. Um, they both end with a speech by that law enforcement agent talking about how the world's moved on and how they can't understand what's going on with the true evil that lurks beneath. Um they have a very similar structure, actually, if you think about it. One's got a different pacing because it's more of a comedy. Um, but they're very clearly, the Coen brothers are scratching the same itch with these films. So being that they are actually quite similar, you have to ask yourself which one accomplishes what it's going for better. Um, and I think there's two aspects that I don't believe we've mentioned yet uh, for either of these films, one for each that kind of brings that forward. Um, in No Country for Old Men, you get that middle of um, middle of the film, Tommy Lee Jones is sitting down with Lou Ellen's wife, and he starts to tell her a story about the kid that uh, was killing cattle with a cattle gun, and that how there's a mistake, and the kid gets injured, and you think for a moment right there, oh, he knows about cattle guns. This is going to trigger him to realize what's going on with Shigur, how Shigur's killing people. This is going to begin the breadcrumb trail that will allow him to stop the criminal. And he gets to the end of telling that story, and he gives us a completely different mortal. He tells us that even the contrast between uh, man and steer 
the decision's not made, which is true. But he's missed the story. The villainy that he's in, uh, that he's tangled up with is so incomprehensible for him that you can give him all the clues and he still just fundamentally can't understand it. The era of black and white uh, cops and robbers that his father lived in has moved on. That's why he has that dream at the end. The thing that we haven't mentioned about Fargo is she's pregnant. All of these bad things are going on, and she's bringing a kid into this world. This isn't just a question of she doesn't understand it. It's a question of what kind of world is her kid going to inherit where just because a guy made a bad business adventure, men have to be killed in a wood chipper? Is that really the world she wants to be in? Is that really the world she can accept? I mean, she says that she doesn't understand it. Maybe it's that she just doesn't want to understand it because she can't face that future. I think it's really hard to pick because both of these, and I think it's because, you know, one of these is towards the very, very beginning of the filmography. One of these is later in the filmography. I think the Coen brothers' opinion on this has matured a little bit. And I think that they're taking the more nuanced sort of... uh, It's not that we're rejecting evil. It's that we truly cannot understand evil unless we're that itself, unless we give in to the despair and the nihilism and just the pure, random, shitty chance of the universe that sometimes happens to us. I think that's actually played with a little bit better in No Country for Old Men. So just by a very slight edge, I am going to give my vote to No Country for Old Men. And we have got another one-to-one tie. And that one doesn't feel like a punt. That feels like it actually is how Steven feels. Mike, it's all on you. I want you guys to know that I love you both, but I hate you at the same time. I, I really thought... Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily think this was going to come down to me. Uh, because, again, I I feel I feel adrift in the eloquence of my fellow panelists in the sense of I don't know that I can encapsulate things in quite the same way. But I, I will say that Stephen brought up something that he was 100 percent right. We had not addressed And that is something that I would be lying, absolutely lying, if I said that it wasn't something that was constantly on my mind personally, which is that in Fargo, she's seven months pregnant. And part of what she's dealing with is what world am I introducing my own children into? And I think that um, that that I mean, that's probably I don't know if that's always been a struggle with parents. I think for the most part, I I think that as time has gone on and for various reasons, we've become less concerned with the basic day to day aspects of living. If if we've been fortunate, Uh, there's that word to begin about chance. But uh for the most part, maybe we we become a little bit more cerebral. We become a little bit more neurotic about about certain things. Uh, 
so I don't know to what degree that that is weighed on previous generations. Maybe it, maybe it has. Uh, shit, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? But but um, you want to be ultimately kind of positive about about that, and and I like I ah oh, man. This is a great matchup. I, I just I I want to say that I love that it ended up here uh, because I think it showcases obviously the fact that we're doing this whole thing showcases that the Coen brothers are masterful masterful filmmakers. Uh, they 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 have a, a new movie out which we didn't even uh, discuss, which name is escaping me right now, but um, but because it's just so new, it it felt weird to include it, but. Uh, I think this is a great matchup and I think it showcases a lot of the strengths that these two have where I come down to is a couple things. I think that Fargo does showcase a little bit more of their quirky side than no country does. Uh, in spite of the fact that I think no country does have, he does have some interesting moments that, and that do propel it forward. But what I like about Fargo is I'm going to come down to the way it ends. And I spoke at length in the very first, in the previous episode about how much I love the way no country for old men ends with Tommy Lee Jones reflecting on the two dreams that he has and what they really mean to the overarching story. The way Fargo ends is with the comfort of a very simple thing, right? Where she's, in the she, you know, she finds out uh, her husband. What was it? I think it, his artwork had been selected for a stamp or something like that. I, I don't remember specifically, and I apologize for that. But it ends with what ultimately is a is a super kind of hippie sort of thing, I suppose. But it, it ends with this idea of there's like all this horrible shit that's happened throughout this whole thing, and it ends with just this this idea of two people who love each other and who are actively, I think that's a, that's a very key component of that, like actively loving each other. And love isn't just, it's not just this thing. It's, it's this, it's a choice and it's, it's a, it's the thing that, that they express toward each other and the way that she does it towards her husband with this kind of, let's be honest, relatively mild accomplishment that he has experienced, but it is, but finding the beauty in that and overall it ends a little more hopefully which may may be just me being uh the stupid optimist that it continues to cling to that there's a poignance to that that resonates with me just that little bit more and i think that again I, I said it when I voted for Fargo against O Brother Worth on the previous round. If I was going to sit anyone down, maybe my daughter's way down the line, uh, and I and say this is this is the film that represents the the Coen Brothers' particular ethos and and the, and their style of filmmaking and stuff like that. Fargo would be the choice, so I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for Fargo. And with that, Fargo has been crowned the best Coen Brothers movie of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed the show. 
We will be back next week with even more bonus content before the Boozy Bracketology Podcast. I have been Chris. I have been Jeff. I have been Steven. And I have been Mike. Have a good one.